Divisions appear to be on their way out in the ACC. What will that mean for Virginia Tech and UVA football? The Hoos and Hokies head into the NCAA baseball tournaments, while UVA's lacrosse and Virginia Tech's softball team suffered painful endings to their years. All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 82 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, good to talk to you, my friend. Good morning, man. So uh, we're, we're kind of into the summer months here. It's why we're not uh, cranking these podcasts out every uh, week or two weeks, a little less uh, frequent, a little less to get to, although there's plenty, but summer is also a time for some other things. So tell me, David, do the Teal family have any uh, exciting summer vacation plans in, in, in store? We do, in fact. We are uh, headed across the pond mm-hmm. and we will be for two weeks traversing about uh, Austria and Italy and Switzerland and Germany with maybe a little side junket into Liechtenstein just to knock it off the list. <laughs> Is that on your bucket list? No, it's not on my bucket <laughs> list, but it, we figure if we're that close, let's check another country off. I, that makes sense. Well, I'm extremely jealous. That's definitely a trip that uh, probably once our kids are old enough to be uh, abandoned, <laughs> we will consider taking. Now, are you taking Tiny Teal on this oh, adventure? Yeah. Oh, she she goes on all our adventures. Is she excited? I mean, that's a huge, huge trip for a small kid. Is she excited for everything she's going to see? Yeah, she re- she really is. I mean, she really enjoyed uh, three summers ago when we uh, w- went to England and France, and she's really excited about this one. She she's got the traveling adventurous spirit in her, which I'm uh, forever grateful for. Oh, I love it. I love it. Child after my own heart. Now, uh, how about for you? I mean, there's going to be so many, I imagine, things that you're looking forward to, but is there there one thing in particular that you're thinking, man, I, I can't wait to see or eat or <laughs> uh, visit, whatever it is. Is, is there something in particular that um, you're extremely excited for? <laughs> the red wine in Italy? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 going to be great. Italy's such a his, historic place, and uh, then just I mean, Vienna is supposed to be breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, Germany, another place with 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 great history, and and Switzerland, getting up into the Alps and and doing some hiking. Uh, it's it's going to be really really cool. You say really cool. You may be escaping some brutal heat around here because uh, when you say hiking in the Alps, I'm I'm looking out the window and we're creeping up towards another 90 degree day here Mm -hmm. in Charlottesville. So uh, that part of the trip might be a welcome change as well. No doubt. Now, our our friend uh, Mark Packer, I believe, either just got back or is still in Italy. He's, He's still there. Uh, so now is he, is his, or his Twitter feed, is that kind of a cliff notes now for, for the teals or have you already planned out kind of where you'll be hitting? Mrs. Teal is the consummate <laughs> planner. 
<laughs> we 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 uh, we are locked in. We've we've got the the hotels booked thanks to a, a lot of Marriott and Hilton points, and we are good to go. You know, it's funny. I for me on vacations, I'm I'm a big anti planner. <laughs> um, you know, you're on vacation, but I feel like if you're doing Europe and there's Europe, like think how many options. Think of everything yeah. out there. I feel like that's one you have to really carefully, um, you know, mm-hmm. plan out and think through because, man, it would be a bad feeling to take that flight, do the trip, come all the way back and then say, oh, shoot, you know what I missed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like uh, your summer beach vacation where you say, all right, don't worry, kids, we can go back uh, for a weekend or we can go back next summer. Uh so I imagine it's a, it's an extensive itinerary. Yeah, and there and there are some places, and Jill's great about this too. You know, in some museums where you have to make reservations mm-hmm. uh, just just to get in, and and so you kind of start there and then build your days and itinerary around that. Now, how long has this trip been in the making? Because I've got a bunch of friends and family who had big trips that were either canceled or postponed due to the pandemic. Uh, is 2022 summer always when this was happening? And how long has this been in the works? Oh, it's been it's been in the planning for more than a year. Gotcha. Good stuff. Well, we're going to have to either find a way to do a remote or uh, at least we'll, we'll do an episode where we catch up on your trip because I think that's going to be uh, as exciting or interesting as anything we cover today. <laughs> But we're still going to go ahead and give it a shot and get into sports. And it's been a while, David, since we recorded one of these. And uh, you were down in Amelia Island for the ACC meetings. And one of the big topics of discussion down there was the idea of no more divisions. Could we be saying goodbye mm-hmm. to, to coastal chaos after 2022? The, the NCA has removed the requirement that conferences have divisions in order to, to play in a title game. That paves a way for what I think a lot of people have been hoping for and asking for for a couple of years now, the end of the Atlantic, the end of the Coastal, uh, get get your two best teams in the title game, um, and a different scheduling model, right? Because right now, I mean, guys go four or five years. Uh, Eric McLean, I heard him talking about this on, on ACC Network, but he spent five years at Clemson, never played a game at Virginia Tech. That's kind of wild and, and, and not right <laughs> in a lot of ways. So, what are they looking at? Because it sounds like the most heavily discussed option is this three-five-five model. Oh, and that—that that is basically the model that, that they are talking about, where you have three pu- permanent opponents that you play annually, and then the remaining ten teams rotate onto your schedule on a on a two-year cycle, five on, five off. So you play every team in the conference at least every other season. Whereas right now, my Florida State hasn't played at Virginia Tech since 2012. That's, that's crazy. A I decade. mean, it's a decade. It, yes, it's it's preposterous. And and this way, if you play at the same ACC program for four years, which in the transfer portal era is <laughs> perhaps a long shot, you will have played in every ACC stadium, and yeah. that, that that's pretty cool. It is. And, and it seems like a no brainer. Uh, you mentioned the transfer portal. Maybe that's why they went with that two year cycle, because <laughs> at least at least if you spend two years at a school, you'll you'll get everybody once. Uh, that's it, it is. It, it is, I think, a, a really positive change. I think the fans are going to embrace it. Now, it's not going to mean the end of the annual Tech UVA rivalry or any of those big ones. Right. Because you got those three permanent opponents that, that, that had to be an important component of whatever the next plan is. Right. Oh, yeah. Virginia Tech, Virginia. 
NC State, Carolina, Florida State, Miami. I mean, th- those are games that you that you must have on an annual basis. So where would you go? Because every sports writer, every television person, every fan with a Twitter feed, everybody has kind of taken their shot already oh, yeah. at, at laying out who the permanents would be. We know Tech and UVA will have each other. Let's start with Virginia Tech. And it, it doesn't have to work out, right? I'm not asking you to do the Rubik's Cube. I'm asking you in, in the dream world for Tech fans, who would the other two permanent opponents be? In their dream world, Miami would be number two, I yep. believe, for sure. Mm-hmm. And number three, I think, would be a toss-up, Mike. They don't want Boston College. They so <laughs> want that to go away. And I, my sense is that it will. I think there's some sentiment among Hokies faithful for North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think there's some sentiment for NC State. You know, similar, you know, big land grant in institutions. I, I think that would be pretty cool. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, but because I think NC State's going to end up with two of its Tobacco Road uh, rivals plus Clemson. And that would take care of, of the Wolfpacks three. I think Clemson is a natural rival for Virginia Tech. Fans might not like it because the, the Tigers are so good, but I, I've, I'd love to see that on an annual basis. When I laid it out and was trying to solve the Rubik's Cube, and it <laughs> is exactly that, I ended up with Virginia Tech playing Virginia, Miami, and Georgia Tech every year. And I, I think tech coaches would like that. Keeps them in the Atlanta market every other season. Pittsburgh would, would be yeah. another possibility as, as an annual rival uh, for, for Virginia Tech. So it'll be interesting to, to, to see how it all uh, plays out. There'll be, I think most schools will get maybe their first two choices and then that third's going to be a yeah. toss-off. I, I, I will warn tech fans of one thing. I was talking to Dan Radakovich, the new Miami athletic director down at Amelia, and said, okay, we all know you're going to play Florida State every year. said, Virginia Tech pretty much a no-brainer is, is the second one. And he kind of paused and said, mm, I don't know about that. So right. w- w- we'll see. I, I think that would be disappointing to, to, to most Virginia Tech folks. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Pittsburgh is the one for the third spot that every time I tried to work it through, and, and I, I think that's a good one. I mean, it's it's relatively regional, um, kind of has some of that blue collar. They've had some great games, certainly, uh, especially in some recent years. So, uh, be interesting to see how that all shakes out. And uh, yeah, I, I think you know, in the dream world, you might throw Florida State in there too with with some of that history. But logistically, it just doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense with um, the way you're going to pair Florida State with other schools. How about UVA, David? Um, we know the Hokies are, are in that first spot. Where else do you go? I, I imagine since they bill it as the oldest rivalry in the yeah. South, mm-hmm. that North Carolina has got to be their number two spot. I would certainly think so. I would be surprised otherwise. Th- the only way, and, and, and again, th- this isn't a prediction, the only way I could see that not happening is if the ACC decided to go all in on the Carolina schools <laughs> And have them play one another every year, which would mean Carolina would play State, Wake, and Duke every season. Don't think that's the yeah. way it's going to play out. I don't fact, either. Doesn't it feel, I don't think so either, but I, I've got this feeling like the team or the school that's going to get the worst deal here is Wake Forest. And it feels like that happens to them a lot where it's <laughs> like they want to be part of the triangle, but they're not 
part, you know what I mean? And, and it, yeah. it just feels like, um, yeah, in some ways it makes logical sense to put all the Carolina teams against each other, but there are, there is history with those Carolina teams and other schools. I, I, I just have this feeling, this bad feeling for wake and their fans that when it all is said and done, uh, they're one of the schools that is least happy with their three permanents. It's funny. You mentioned the Deacons though, Mike, I think they're going to be Virginia's third. Interesting. Yes. I, I think Which, Virginia's I think Virginia's three will be Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and Wake Forest. Which which does make a lot of sense and Wake mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways pairs nicely with UVA. Um you're right that it's that third spot that I, I can pencil through so many ways. I think I had actually had Georgia Tech a few times um when I worked through it with Virginia, but I, I was like the kid with the Rubik's cube who is like, okay, I got the reds, I got the greens, I got the blues. And then I flip it over and I've got right. a mess on the other side. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. I, I, I sat down there at Amelia Island when I was trying to do it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is not as easy as you think. And, and here's something else to think about. And this might be more difficult than getting everyone in the room to agree on each other, you know, your own. And then everyone else's three permanents. How are you going to divide up the five on and five off? Mm-hmm. Because you do not want to, you know, just based on pedigree. Right. If these teams aren't among your permanent rivals, you don't want to play Clemson, Florida State, and Miami every year. Right. You know, you don't, you don't want to play them in the same year is, is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, think you, about you, it. If you schedule, if the schedule hands you three losses <laughs> in your five, yeah. plus you've got your three permanents that you have to imagine those are going to be, you know, rivalry games that, that could be coin flips every year. I mean, that's right there. You're looking at what? Oh, maybe six losses right out of the chute. Uh, yeah, it's going it's to be a fascinating puzzle for, for not us, for someone else to solve. Well, someone else and some computers, computers believe yeah. me, there, 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 there will be a lot of computer help here. Yeah, this, this feels like computers spit out a situation, the computer spits it out, and you vote and reject it, and then you put it back and mm-hmm. give, add another parameter. And that's the thing, too, is, is um, you know one little tweak, and, and that's what I was kind of referencing with the Rubik's Cube, one little tweak blows the whole thing up, <laughs> right? Sure you can't just say, oh, man, they shouldn't have Florida State, Clemson, and uh, Miami in their five at the same year, so let's move that. Okay, well, we'll move Miami here, and then your your, your dominoes go, and uh, yes. it, it is why I gave up on the exercise. Originally, I was like, well, let me do the whole thing, and I quickly rejected that. And I said, well, let me just do the permanence, and then I got to the point where I'm like, look, I'm interested in who Tech and UVA want to play, and then we'll discuss who they get when that, that moment comes, which brings me to my next question, because this isn't for this season, right? We're no. locked into the schedule, but they're saying as soon as 2023, so realistically, um, did, did that feel like the plan when you were down there that uh, after this year we'll be done with these divisions? Yes. 2023 is when this will start, and I believe we'll have an announcement of such this summer. Which I think people will be looking forward to. We'll be looking forward to it because summer is sometimes a bit lean. <laughs> so if they if they have the pairings or at least the permanence at that point, that'll give us a topic for another podcast. It's uh it's going to be interesting. How about the title game, David? Yeah. What, what does it mean? Because I think there have been a lot of years where the sense is um, the Coastal Division was the, the little brother and mm-hmm. the best teams, maybe the two, three best teams <laughs> were in the Atlantic. Um, this paves the way now, right, for for that in the title game. The two best teams, how are they going to determine that? Best 
best conference records is is how it'll go down. The tiebreakers will have to be, you know, very very precise and such. But but Mike, the ACC is hardly going to be alone here. Yeah, the, the, this is going to happen pretty much across the board. Pac-12's already decided, even this year with divisions, the Pac-12 for its title game is going to take the the two teams with the best league records. So even if the North champion, if the North champion doesn't have as good a record as the South runner-up, the North champion's out of luck. Yeah, that that's how. And then after that, the Pac-12 will do away. With, with divisions. But, you know, you, you go back to the pandemic year when the ACC welcomed Notre Dame and went to one big 15-team conference. That's how it all played out. Clemson and Notre Dame finished atop the, the league standings, and they met uh, in the conference championship game. And I, I thought Brent Pry, the new Virginia Tech coach, made a great point when I asked him, you know, what, what particular schedule and model would, would you favor? And he said, I don't care. I want the one that gives us, meaning the league, the best chance to put multiple teams in an expanded college football playoff. Yeah. And that's number one is a really good point. And number two, I believe is one of the motivations here. The first motivation is to play one another more frequently. The second motivation, not too far behind, is to get as many teams in what we all presume will be an expanded college football playoff starting with the 2026 season. Yeah, we, we don't need to go through the whole history of college football, but David, sitting here, it, it does feel, I don't know, like uh, before we had seatbelts or smoking, but like I look at the old way that we've been doing it and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And there were a lot of reasons they got there and got to divisions and the NC had those requirements and then some of those became outdated. But just looking at it right now, it, it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> to go that long, right? I mean, yes. with, the, with the expansion, it's just stupid to go that long without playing certain teams in your conference, to go your career without facing a team or playing in a venue, uh, to have teams that are maybe hovering around 500 in the championship game when you have two teams that, that could be, you know, vying for a spot in the college football playoff. I mean, we saw that with the, the Big Ten. It, it just, it, it made no sense. And um, I think you wrote this in one of your columns, but you know, we bang on the NCAA a lot, and they seem to uh, eschew common sense in, in most cases. This seems like common sense, and, and, and everybody now is heading in the right direction. Yeah, the, the NCAA did, did away with that um, that really antiquated rule about it, you know, if you want to pl- play a championship game and you have more than 10 teams, you have to have divisions. And it, it goes back to Division Two, and trust me, you don't want to get into the weeds on it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's kind of a very peculiar uh, among the NCAA's many peculiar rules. Yeah, it's one of those rules who, whose time has come, and um, I think we talked about this a bunch in, in basketball when you had some teams that were reclassifying and were ineligible for the NCAA tournament, even though they had won their. Their conference tournaments. There are just some rules on the books that, yes, if you go through history, I get why you got there, but uh, let's use some common sense and, and get them off the books now. Glad to see they're doing that. David, before we move on, you, you did mention uh, Notre Dame and, and the way they did the league. So another thing that you had, you had talked about while you were down there was uh, league financials and mm-hmm. the apparent lift the league got from Notre Dame. Walk us through that. H- how valuable were the Fighting Irish in, in the year that they played football with the ACC? Well, big time, Mike. I mean, in, in a pandemic year, when a lot of conferences 
struggled to even match revenue from the, the, the previous fiscal year, the ACC set records. And that's because Notre Dame brought its NBC TV package and and shared it with everyone, and you know the the, the rising tide float you know floated all boats and really helped everyone out. Average payout you know well over thirty million dollars to, to to each school, and it goes to show you what Notre Dame could be worth if the Fighting Irish were ever ever willing to forego football independence, but that's just not on the horizon. Yep. Well, and we mentioned, you know, among the, the changes and the divisions and now Notre Dame going back away, but they're still in that, that uh, scheduling agreement. So mm-hmm. they'll, they'll still be, how does that factor into the scheduling model? Well, it really won't. I mean, you know, the, the, the fighting Irish will still play on average five ACC teams a year. But that that won't affect um, the, the the rotations of of who you play. So will you still, if you're if you're at college for four or five years, are you still guaranteed a trip to Notre Dame? See, those aren't as right. they're not as pat. Those games aren't as patterned as as a conference schedule. You'll notice that there'll be a stretch of three or four years where Virginia or Virginia Tech will play Notre Dame, you know, back-to-back <laughs> years or three times in four years. Yep. And then they kind of vanish for a yep. while because that that's so dependent on Notre Dame's other, the, the other portions <laughs> of its schedule and how it, you know, um, apportions the, the dates against Michigan or Stanford and Southern California and the like. Yeah. So now I'm picturing jamming two Rubik's cubes together and trying to <laughs> twist them and get them around to get, to get that to work out. But uh, it'll be an interesting wrinkle too. Another interesting wrinkle, as we mentioned is uh, we'll be getting rid of and saying goodbye to coastal chaos. And that brings us to this week's edition of take it or leave it. Thank you, Mike. It is take it or leave it. Assuming the ACC does away with divisions in football, you will miss coastal chaos. Take it or leave it. And let's start with David. I'm going to leave it. And and coastal chaos was illiterate and and very funny. And we, we all enjoyed it. But I'm just so over the divisional setup. And I want teams to play one another more often. So while Coastal Chaos will always have a place in my heart, I will gladly say goodbye for the sake of a more competent scheduling model. <laughs> I can't argue with anything you just said. I'm going to take it purely, of you are. purely for the wording of the question. Yes. Will I miss it? Yes, I'm, I'm going to miss it. Are we heading to something better? Absolutely. But there was nothing more signature ACC for maybe a decade than the idea that the Coastal was fighting these battles that were pillow fights, right? They were fighting these battles to be fed to a lion in, in the ACC title game. And there were some times that, that, that I thought, you know, I think about the Tech-Clemson meeting, and, and that was, you know, very competitive. But uh, it was a great storyline. And, and there is something about the fact that we had that stretch, right, where every team won it. Uh, one time in, in a, what, a seven-year, I guess, period. Seven, seven years. So seven, seven champions. champions. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the parody that all pro sports, right, is always talking about striving for. So I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss the jokes. I'm going to miss the tweets. Yeah, we're heading somewhere better, but 
it, it was fun while it lasted. And uh, David, fun while it lasted <laughs> is probably a great way to describe Virginia Tech softball this year. And yeah. you had the chance to go down there and in person and experience uh, the crowd, the energy. This is a, a softball team that they're 104 and 29 the last three years. It's really remarkable what Pete DeBoer has done with this program. Uh, but I think people felt like this was the year to take it one step further, get to the College World Series. So you went down there, you saw Florida put an end to it. T- tell us the story, I guess, of, of this year's Hokie softball program. Dominant in the regular season, only lost two ACC games uh, during that r- regular season. You know, Keely Richard, one of the best pitchers in, in America, and coming off a 2021 season in which they were one game away from the Women's College World Series and then lost a Game 3 Super Regional at UCLA. But here the, the Hokies were the tournament's number three overall seed, uh, had some trouble in the regional round, had to win three elimination games in less than 20 hours, trailed in all three, then win game one of the Super Regional again, just like last year at UCLA. And then, as you said, just a heartbreaking end, lose game two to the Gators, seven to two, and then game three. You can only describe it as unsightly. They got mercy ruled on their home field, 12 to nothing. Um, committed three errors. Keely Richard had the worst outing of her career. Uh, just not the way the script writers were supposed to pen this one. Now, now this team has faced good competition over those last three years. Sure. It, it, they struggled with the SEC. They struggled with Kentucky. They struggled with Florida. But David, was it something about the matchup? Was it just not their weekend? Um, what did you take away? I mean, I can't, I can't believe that the number three overall seed after what they've done the last three years that they're simply overmatched by the SEC. So what was the difference? What went wrong? The little things, yeah, Mike. And, and it's it, on Sunday in game three, it started with literally the first pitch of fairly routine ground ball to shortstop that Kelsey Bennett then throws wildly to first base for an error. And Pete DeMore said, essentially, we never recovered from that. Now, Clearly, you can recover from a first pitch error, but it was just the vibe. And I think the moment got to them. They're playing a program that has been now to 11 or 12 Women's College World Series since 2007, a program that won back-to-back national championships, you know, a, a program that is built for these types of situations. I think pedigree played into it. And then later in that first inning, Bennett and Kelsey Brown, the left fielder, collide, going for a routine fly. It falls, allowing an unearned run to score. And then it all just collapsed from there. Yeah, and it, it is an unfortunate ending, but because you were down there, David, I, I want to ask you, because I, I remember when I lived in Blacksburg, um, when I started you know, working at the Times-Dispatch, I was covering just the Hokies. And I remember, even back then, softball being a pretty cool <laughs> atmosphere. Uh, people sitting even out on the road in their folding chairs with their dogs. And um, I remember my dog at the time uh, almost being hit by a home run ball at one point, but this was another level. What was this crowd for the super regional like and, and how much energy was there around this program really all year? Oh, it was, it was great atmosphere. I mean, we're talking two hours before first pitch, Mike, they're lined up on Beamer way hundreds deep 
waiting for the gates to open. And then because a good bit of the seating was general admission, they're sprinting to, to those sections of the stadium to, to try to get the best seat. I mean, it was really cool to, to watch. And keep in mind, school's out. Mm-hmm. So this, this was basically a community crowd. This was not a student-driven crowd. And that makes it kind of cool in a, in a different way as well. And they set up temporary bleachers out in the outfield, and we'll get to this in a while, but they're going to do the same for the baseball regional this weekend. Uh, the stick and ball sports have, have really started to connect there at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, but not just Virginia Tech, really across the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, UVA kind of, and Whit Babcock said this to me when I interviewed him about this. He, he said, you know, UVA really put the blueprint out there. Build a top-notch facility, g- give them the budget they need to do things, you know, off the field, recruiting, things like that, and hire the right coach, you know, with the right vision. Um, and college baseball, college softball can really take off. And, um, you know, Virginia is a good recruiting area for those sports. And there's a lot of talent in the state. There is a lot of interest in baseball. And uh, it really was, you know, not to be cliche, but it really was the, if you build it, they will come. And uh, UVA did it. I think tech has followed. I think, you know, VCU's program is certainly in a great spot. ODU's trying to add uh, some money to their spot. Liberty's facilities may be as good as they, they come. Um, so really, uh, I think you're right that, you know, in the spring, we, we talk a lot about spring football, but I think there there is a a real push and a real interest right now in, in softball and in baseball, which you mentioned. Hey, now Virginia Tech, th- those crowds don't have to go away <laughs> because they're hosting a regional. They're the number four seed for baseball. A, a great year there for John Sheff. And uh, just what I was talking about, John Sheff was the guy, he was at Maryland, that Whit Babcock targeted to have the vision and, and to steer that program. So, David, when we think about the Hokies on the baseball diamond, uh, and they open Friday night against Wright State, um, they've got an interesting bracket with Gonzaga and Columbia. Gonzaga, for a while there, was in the talk to be a a host. Um, So that's a real good team, but they're traveling across the country. It seems like a really good opportunity for Hokies baseball to – at least match softball, right, and advance through this regional round? It really does, Mike. And and, and by the way, uh, kudos to the Field of Dreams reference earlier, especially <laughs> given Ray Liotta's yes. r- r- recent passing. So that was that was very clever um, and very apt uh, as, as we talk about college baseball and softball. But to, to, to your point, it does seem on – you know, on paper is a good draw for Virginia Tech, which you would think for the tournament's number four overall seed. Uh, Nary, another Power Five program uh, in the Blacksburg Regional. And, you know, Virginia Tech coming off of 10 nothings banking from uh, North Carolina in, in the ACC tournament, eventual champion North Carolina, by the way. And Drew Hackenberg, the ace, got, got lit up uh, in that game. So he's going to want to find his form, but you know, what's driving this team is offense. I mean, they've got, I, I was looking at the stats today. They've got seven guys with double digit home runs. <laughs> they've got eight with at least 30 RBIs. And Oh, by the way, Carson Jones from, from the Richmond area, he's gotten back in the lineup recently and he's got seven home runs in the last 15 games. So th- th- there's another cat who's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got some firepower now. Yeah, it's, it, you're right. It's not just the the totals. It's 
the streak. They, they had ended the regular season with six wins in a row. Um, they looked great in the opener. They, I mean, just pounded was a Clemson, right? Yes. Uh, in the opener of the AC. And then, yeah. Carolina just uh, re- really put things on a sour note, but th- this isn't just a team that can score. It's a team that's scoring of late, uh, playing well of late. If, if you take out that final game, it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do. And, and David, if they do navigate it, which I think you and I both have the feeling that they have a good chance to do that uh, as fate may have it. <laughs> isn't that and crazy? If the, and if the seeds hold, they would host a super regional against Florida, the school that just ended the softball season. I imagine the energy in the stands, if that comes to be, uh, would be absolutely off the charts. Yes, I would think so. And Gator Nation knows its way to Blacksburg now. No excuse for them not not to arrive in force. This time, it's a it's a bigger facility. There'll be room for more folks. And and once again, Mike, you know, you you asked about the atmosphere at, at softball. I imagine the atmosphere this weekend in Blacksburg is going to be pretty electric as well. Well, it should be great. I remember when when Pete Hughes guided this team to, to host a regional, uh, and Frank Beamer was still the football coach, and uh, they were having questions about what to do with that. They have that hill uh, in left field, and they were having questions about what to do for seating on the hill and general admission. How would they work it? So Frank went and rented out the hill for, for faculty and staff uh, <laughs> to come to the game, and, and those were great atmospheres. This would be even better. One more note on Florida, David, for them to advance. Now, I think their regional is a little bit tougher. They've got Oklahoma in there. They've got Central Michigan. And the team to keep an eye on there, they've got Liberty. So if Liberty were to come out of that, I think that Mm -hmm. would be an amazing moment for for Virginia uh, baseball in the Commonwealth. That's a really strong Liberty team. Uh, They're going to make things interesting for Florida in that Gainesville regional. They they very well could. And, you know, the the Flames were kind of there. They lost in the final of their conference tournament, I believe, to Kennesaw State. And they were sitting there at 31 on the on the RPI. And, you know, according to the chart that they put up on selection, what is it? Selection Monday, Monday not selection yeah. Sunday. I got to make sure I, <laughs> I, I get that right. Liberty was among the last four at-large teams chosen. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the Flames will see if they can take advantage uh, of that opportunity. That would be cool, too. Now, on that same chart, if you look to the right, uh, unfortunately for, for Chris Finwood and his group, you saw Old Dominion on the last four out. Uh, 41 and 17 this year. They beat East Carolina twice. East Carolina's hosting. Uh, they took two from Southern Miss, uh, beat UVA once, beat VCU once. This is a really good ODU team that came really close but didn't get in. Uh, you got to feel a little bit for the Monarchs there. You really do, Mike. And as, as, as much uh, as the committee is. Pre- presumably put on the RPI and those metrics. And if you listen to Mike Buddy, the Army AD and the selection committee chairman, I mean, he kept citing those numbers. I I looked at them just based on numbers and I didn't see either team play. I think old Dominion's numbers are better than Liberty's just based on like against the top 25, Mm -hmm. Liberty was three and seven and old Dominion was five and one. Yeah, And you know, I don't know if it was, posturing or lobbying but when ODU was knocked out of the the tournament Chris Finwood was pretty clear that he thought you know they were still in Mm -hmm. Um, again some of that may have been lobbying and and jockeying for position but I I think certainly this is a team that's good enough to be in the NCAA tournament Um, that happens right sometimes you're good enough and you just get squeezed out ask NC State 
Oh, well, that might be a little different because that to me feels like getting hosed. I mean, it, it, it really, it really does. And and oh, by the way, again, yeah, you know, I I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I don't buy that the NBA picks the teams they want in the finals. You know, around Christmas and and just yeah. gets you. I don't buy any of that stuff. But man, the the NCAA hates NC State storyline. I don't know, man. There's a lot of evidence in that column, and you, you know, like I don't believe in little green men coming down from outer space. And then, and I, I'm I'm not too obsessed with who shot Kennedy, but boy, I do wonder if there isn't something there. I mean, the NC NC State thing. When you think about uh, just the, the recent stretch here of, mm-hmm. and again. Every decision in its own, you, you look at it and you say, okay, I see why state baseball got left out. I see what happened with the forfeit in the football bowl. I, I see all of these things. But man, the body of work all put together, I, I, I get why they're looking over their shoulder a little bit. And and it's women's basketball, yeah. they're, the, they're the number one seed in that regional and they have to play a road game in the Elite Eight against the most storied program <laughs> in the history of the game in connecticut it's i mean it's, it's, it's just man that's that's rough and my folks who follow college baseball far more closely than we do yeah you know aaron fit and those guys yep. who who really know this stuff inside and out they were just stunned that the wolfback did not make the field yeah i mean the, the consensus was clemson was the acc's bubble team mm-hmm and instead, it cut off a line ahead. So nobody's really even talked about Clemson, where Monty Lee lost his job, job. <laughs> over that. And, you know, they would have been the bubble talk. But boy, uh, NC State stole their bubble thunder, I guess you could say. So, um, yeah, we're hard on fans sometimes for their ridiculous conspiracy takes. But Wolfpack Nation, I, th- I think we got your back. You, you've got you got some legitimate gripes here, uh, not just this year, but in, in recent years. Uh, you've got a strong case you can make. The team that we said kind of laid out the blueprint for, for how you get good, uh, the team that's been the, the College World Series participant, world national champion, uh, Brian O'Connor's Cavaliers, earlier this year, they looked like a no-brainer to host, to yes. be a top seed, uh, to be a contender for another national championship. They cooled off, but the Virginia Cavaliers, they, I, I have to imagine that if you're ECU, you're thrilled to be hosting yeah. And a little displeased to see a team of, of Virginia's pedigree uh, in your regional. Not only Virginia in your regional, <laughs> but hello, Coastal Carolina. Yet yeah. another recent national champion there in Greenville. Virginia and East Carol or Virginia and Coastal Carolina play one another. Kind of a precursor to this November's football matchup, I guess. <laughs> and you know, wow. I mean, that's to, to me, that is a stacked, stacked regional, at least from a pedigree standpoint. Yeah. And I think from, again, baseball can be a streaky sport. We talked about how well Tech had been playing down the stretch. Uh, Virginia can get back to the team that we saw just dominating everybody out of the gates. Right. There's nothing. There haven't been major injuries. There isn't anything that's shifted there. They could become that team again um, and then absolutely be on their way to Omaha. So if you're East Carolina, <laughs> that's a tough draw. Coastal Carolina, I think the team I feel worst for is Coppin State because yeah. it almost felt like the NCAA, like we were talking about with the scheduling matrix metrics. We, we, we almost feels like you went through and they put together ECU, UVA, and Coastal. And we're like, man, 
that's a lot of good teams. Who's who's kind of at the bottom? Oh, Coppin, let's throw them in there. Uh, g- good luck to Coppin State because they, they feel a little bit like cannon fodder in a in a very tough regional. Yeah, well, that's a that's a sub five hundred surprise <laughs> MIAC tournament champion, and so uh, yeah, good g- good luck to, to to those. I mean, East Carolina's won eighteen in a row. Yeah. Now, now, granted, not not against the most stout competition. And you have to, you know, Virginia, by Virginia standards, Mike, they stunk it up at the ACC tournament. Oh, yeah. I mean, they got mercy ruled by Florida State and then shut out by Notre Dame. Uh, I, I imagine there were some interesting conversations in that clubhouse just among players themselves and then with Brian O'Connor and, and the players as they prepare to to head down to Greenville. Yeah, David, you're absolutely right. And and not just the 0-2 uh, in the ACC tournament. They've lost five of their last seven. Mm-hmm. Um, again, baseball, funny sport. A couple good games can, can turn it around. We know they have the offense, uh, certainly, to, to carry them through. They Their pitching has been, at times, <laughs> College World Series level, at times, batting practice level. Uh, how does that shake out? But, um, you know, th- this has the potential to be a, a really good Virginia team and, and make another uh, good run. Somebody you think is, is going to make a good run from the Commonwealth. It's, it's too strong not to. And that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. Let's do Who You Got. Which Commonwealth club will advance the deepest into this year's NCAA baseball tournament? Who You Got? And let's start with Mike. So I'm going to go with that Virginia team that we just talked about just because I saw how dominant they were uh, in stretches. But David, more than that, it's like we talked about. I, I like their their chance in their regional. Um, I like the way it, it shapes up. Uh, you know, Yes, it's a tough regional, but I, I think Virginia is the best team down there. And um, with all due respect to East Carolina, who's the host, um, I think that lineup's going to get going. I think they're going to hit the ball well. It is a program that is accustomed to um, – a level of success in the postseason. I don't think the moment will be too big for them. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that, that have a good shot to make some noise. I mentioned that Liberty wouldn't stun me uh, to, to come out of the bracket in Gainesville and upset Florida. Uh, I think Virginia Tech certainly can can win their regional and, and then uh, anything from there, the way they've played this year with that offense that we talked about. Uh, VCU is as hot as anybody. But I, I, to me right now, I look at the way it all shapes up. I think Virginia is going to find its stride. I think they're going to get going, and, and so I'm going to I'm going to ride with the Cavaliers and Brian O'Connor. Hard to argue. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned VCU, Mike. I mean, Sean Stifler and, and and that program, second consecutive Atlantic Ten championship, and needed to win that tournament. I think if if you look at the numbers, had had the Rams lost to Richmond, in fact, in that championship game and and, an all-city title game there in the A-10. I don't think they would have made the the field, Uh, but but here they are. They've won 15 in a row, have to be good or feeling good about themselves, and they head to Chapel Hill and a a first-round matchup against Georgia. And, you know, you talk about a team that's playing great. Carolina's won 15 out of 17. Um, But you ask which team from the Commonwealth, I'm going to go with the highest seed, and that's Virginia Tech. You know, we, we mentioned that lineup and how, how deep it is. Uh, we mentioned Carson Jones. He's a Richmond guy. Nick Bittison, an, another Richmond player uh, at, at first base. He's re- he's recovered nicely from shoulder surgery, and he's pl- he's hitting it great. 
Uh, I like that that regional, how it plays out. I, I expect the Hokies to be in the Super Regional and a step away from uh, their first trip ever to Omaha. Yeah, so, so much of NCAA postseason play, right, is that bracket is that draw? How does it shape up? And I think about Virginia lacrosse, and I'm still not convinced that Virginia lacrosse isn't one of the four best teams in the country this year, but the Cavaliers were ousted in the quarters because they had to go to Columbus and play Maryland. And David, (laughs) I've been covering lacrosse for a few years now, and Maryland is something special. Uh, Any championship team is special, and certainly Virginia's back-to-backs were special. And uh, there are a lot of great things in college lacrosse, but what Maryland did this year, uh, and they did finish the job, ended up undefeated 18-0. and They won the national championship over Cornell uh, on Memorial Day, um, really completing the, the quest they were on a year ago <laughs> when Virginia beat them by a, a goal in, in the national title game and handed them their only loss. Maryland, David, is something special this year. And um, again, Virginia might be the fourth best team in the country, but nobody was getting past the Terrapins. No, and, and, and Mike, uh, Patrick Stevens, our, our, our mutual friend who just uh, knows the sport so well and has, has been chronicling college lacrosse for decades now. I mean, he's, he's telling us that this is one of the best teams that he's ever seen and just so complete. And it, it got a little hairy for for Maryland there in, in the <laughs> yeah. final. They're cruising nine to two, I believe it was against Cornell. And then all of a sudden it's it's nine six there late and folks are, are, are getting a little nervous. But uh no, to to, to go undefeated. Uh, and and again, you know, you, you talk about some of these decisions that NCAA selection committees make. You know how is how is UVA unseated? How how does Notre Dame not make yeah. the, the NCAA field at all? And uh, whereas what six six right, Ivy League teams made it? now now granted two of them made it to the to the last weekend in, in Cornell and Princeton, but but still, uh, I to to me that Virginia Maryland game that you saw out in Columbus. <laughs> You know, those were those were two final four. Yeah, that was, that was a national semifinal game played a week early, which which worked out for me because yeah. I hosted a cookout on Memorial Day weekend. But uh, it did not there work out go. for Virginia. And David, there's just another chapter uh, to, to the conspiracy theory of the NCA snubbing NC State because no NC State in the NCAA tournament. Of course, they don't have a lacrosse team, so that could be the reason. But uh, just just another <laughs> tournament that that the NCA saw fit to leave NC State out of for UVA lacrosse. It was 1,090 days as NCAA champions, right? They they won it uh, in 19. There was no season in 20, um, no full season. They won it again in 2021. It was a heck of a run. It was interesting to me, David, to, to go into the Maryland game and come out of the Maryland game with Virginia's coaches and players telling me, Maryland set the bar. We've got to find a way to compete at that level. To me, and again, I, I'm not a, a lacrosse expert, but to me, you win back-to-back national champions, you're on the same level as, as everybody, right? There was a reverence for Maryland coming out of the regular season meeting when Maryland beat them by 11 at Audi Field in D.C., um, going into this quarterfinal game, coming out of this quarterfinal game. Maryland's players said that the loss to Virginia in the 2021 title game is what drove them to this perfect season. Uh, it's what pushed them to work harder than they ever had. It set the bar, all of those things. Virginia said all the same things. So it will be interesting to see now, is there really the gap 
Um, can Virginia close the gap if it's there? And how will they use the Cavaliers? How will they use this Maryland loss as fuel going forward? They certainly have the talent to close the gap, don't yeah. they? I mean, they got, I mean, I, I know Matt Moore's gone, but they got a lot of dudes <laughs> coming back, right? Yeah, I mean, Connor Schellenberger, who's as good a player as there is in the nation. Uh, Griffin Schutz, you know, people say, well, who's going to take Matt Moore's place? Well, Griffin Schutz was the number one recruit in the nation. They stuck him back in midfield to get him on the field. He's an attackman. He's going to slide up and take Matt Moore's spot. And the goalie, who was really outstanding all year, and, and that that Ohio Stadium in Columbus is a horrible place. I had some of the ESPN people tell me that um, – horrible place for lacrosse goalies. <laughs> uh, I had some of the ESPN people tell me it's where lacrosse goalies go to die because you got this slate gray background that the ball just disappears as it's coming at you. But uh, Matthew Noons, a freshman goalie, was outstanding all year. Um, they've got great recruits coming in. They've picked up a, another grad transfer. You know, that Lars Tiffany's thing with the transfers is he takes like one guy every year. He finds a hole in the roster. He takes one guy who's a great fit. They've got a midfielder coming from Vermont. Uh, who, who was the, the player of the year in that league and, and scored 60 goals. So, yeah, I, I think the expectation is that, um, you know, Virginia disappointed not to be playing Memorial Day weekend, all the pieces there to get back next year. And the whole, am I right? Do I recall reading your, your, your year-end story? Uh, the entire defense is back. <laughs> And is LaSalle coming LaSalle, back? LaSalle, the face-off specialist. I mean, they really do. They return basically the whole team. They have some answers. Again, Matt Moore was a special player. He he finishes as the all-time points leader in, in Virginia history. But um, no, this this team is a program, right? Lars Tiffany has built a program. And, and uh, he was generous enough to give me the, the all-access day where I spent the whole day with the team yep. and uh, was in their meetings and watched film and attended practice. And uh, it's a well-oiled machine. Uh, everything they do, um, you know, the, the the way they present information to the players, you can tell, hey, they've done this before. Like They've been there. Yeah, it's a big game, but, but here we're going to attack it the same way we attack everything. Here's how we dissect an opponent. Here's how we break it all down. Here's how we take that out to the practice field um, with and, and, and you know Lars always talked about Bronco Mendenhall kind of giving him the blueprint for how to approach that long break between the end of the season and the start of the NCAAs Bronco compared it to bowl prep and uh, he talked about having really specific goals and you know being with that team you could see hey each day they had something that was a specific goal to tackle so um, and Lars Tiffany has you know, elevated himself uh, with his good friend, John Tillman at Maryland uh, as, you know, the lead kind of dogs, the, the best coaches in lacrosse in, in the nation. And we got to see Lars on TV Memorial Day weekend. They, they brought him on for the, the telecast and the halftime stuff. I know he'd he'd rather be out on the field. And, and, and to your point, David, I think they've got a good chance uh, next year of getting right back there. Yeah, it would, it would certainly not surprise. And like, like you said, um, much like Maryland, they will use it as fuel that that setback. Yeah, so I, I mentioned Memorial Day. I I got to spend Memorial Day home, which is a change uh, uh, for me. A uh, little cookout in the yard. David, how, how did the Teals spend uh, the Memorial Day holiday? Well, I was in Blacksburg Saturday and and Sunday, and and, and came home uh, late Sunday, and then we just kind of chilled out on Monday and opened the pool. Oh, that is the way to do it. That is the way to do it. It's, I've been moving mulch and mowing the lawn here. So I may swing by, uh, swing out to your place and jump in your pool when I'm all done with that job. It's, uh, it's quite the work. It's quite the work. And this time of year with the heat, it's, uh, 
I'd rather be in the Alps, as you referenced earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoyed being with us for a little bit today. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next time.